me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, we'll read the first four verses this morning. The, um, this is one of those texts that uh, I'm so grateful for uh, because it pretty much preaches itself. Um, there's some text in the book of Hebrews and many other places in Scripture that you really have to pray extremely hard uh, before you figure out where the message is going, but this is one of those just self-explanatory, very plain in your face, here's what you need to know kind of passages, which is good. I was telling a couple of you before we got up this, I just flew in last night at 11 o'clock from uh, uh, North Carolina helping my parents move out of their house. I'm exhausted. But this text, you got to hear it. It's good stuff. So if you don't get it this morning, there's one of two things wrong. Either you're not hearing it <laughs> or I'm in the way. So just pray that I get out of the way this morning because this is a good text. You don't want to miss it. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask for much grace as we hear your word. Lord, we are weak. We cannot receive this. Uh, without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand it. We cannot believe it. We cannot embrace it. Lord, give us all the unction of the Holy Spirit to receive what you would have for us today. And then, Lord, give us the desire and the ability to act accordingly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When Arkansas farmer fed up with young people ignoring his warning signs of no trespassing, decided to get creative, he wrote a new sign that read, please do not trample the poison ivy or feed the bull. (laughs) Some of you will get that one later. Of course, warning signs are given for a reason. Uh, They can make the difference between life and death. In many cases, uh, we've been, most of you have been keeping up with uh, the news of the collapse of the tower uh, in Miami, Florida that killed about 100 people so far. And they're now saying that there had been numerous reports of major concrete deterioration and structural integrity problems from the ground floor pool to the underground garage. Um, But unfortunately, most of those warnings were not treated very seriously, either by the ones giving the warnings or by the ones receiving it from the condominium association. They're still trying to figure out exactly what happened and, and, and why. I don't know the answers, but the point behind it is there were warnings but no one took them seriously. Well, in our text this morning, the author of Hebrews gives the first of five warnings that, that uh, span the whole length of the epistle to the Hebrews. It's very important that we don't disregard these warnings. Uh, he's going to continue to give them throughout. They're actually essential to the letter itself as we're beginning to see how great Jesus is and how important he is to the faith uh, that is the Christian faith. 
Uh, we have to understand what happens if we ignore Christ as central to that faith and what happens for those who turn away from him and how they fall away from the Lord and, and how are, they're drifting away from the truth as the Scripture teaches here. Now, contrary to what may, you, perhaps you were taught in, in maybe the Roman Catholic Church or some other churches that we might refer to as Arminian, don't worry about the title, as Presbyterians, we do not believe that genuine faith in Christ can ever be lost. If you have true faith in Christ, uh, you will continue to have true faith in Christ, although it can be diminished and weakened at times throughout our, our life. Uh, in fact, uh, most of you have have uh, followed Christ for any lengthy period of time, you, you could definitely tell there's cycles of when you're really strong in the faith and others when you're not. However, there will always be some in the church who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, but who have never known him. And they've gotten so close to the fellowship that is in Christ. They've experienced something of the fellowship of the church They've read their Bibles, they've, they've done good things, they've served in the name of the Lord, they've come very, very close, and yet they walk away from it. They fall away from God, and they drift away from the truth. Now, there's one of the reasons uh, we, we don't refer to, uh, when we're preaching the gospel, I won't often use the term uh, eternal security. That, uh, again, that might be a, a phrase or a term that you're used to in your background. Um, the reason why we don't use that term is because most people think of it as based upon one's confession of faith. In other words, someone walked an aisle, someone prayed a prayer, and immediately they're told that they have eternal security based upon the fact that they've done one thing. I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, shook a pastor's hand, whatever it is. And uh, we're, we're very careful not to state that at all, but rather we, we teach what's referred to as the, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That if you have gotten a, a true and genuine faith in Jesus Christ, God will continue to preserve that faith for you, and you will persevere in that faith until the end. It can never be taken from you. But only if you have it first. If you don't have it, then you may very well be in one of the shoes of, of the people that he's talking about here. In fact, uh, the warning passages that are given in texts like these, there's five of them in, in the book of Hebrews, there's others in other uh, books of the Bible as well. But they're actually written to the elect. They're written to those who have saving faith rather than to those who don't. And it's actually used as a means of preserving our faith, because what it does is it forces us to examine our spiritual state to see whether we truly are in Christ Jesus, whether our faith is resting in the proper place. And by extension, it also instills in us a healthy fear of the Lord and a, a, a stronger and more dependent love for Christ, knowing that our future is completely, utterly dependent upon him. Um, so it's a good thing. These warnings are good things. Think about it this way. Every time anyone has ever talked about judgment in the church, and you know nowadays judgment is not considered uh, a good thing, uh, but if, if a pastor never talks about judgment, he does not care for you. If a person never gives you a warning, they do not care for you because they'd rather just see you drop off into 
the abyss rather than tell you the truth, that there's, there's a warning, there's a danger here. And that's exactly what he's doing. So this morning, I'd like to expand on this first warning by asking and answering four questions. Here are those questions. First, what is spiritual drifting? Second, how dangerous is it really? Third, how and when can it happen? And fourth, what's the remedy? What's the cure? Let's start with number one. What is spiritual drifting? Now, most of us know what physical drifting is like, uh, especially uh, as a kid, I'm sure many of you. Uh, well, actually, I should double check with this. Uh, for those of you who live in Michigan and have your whole life, do you ever go to the ocean on the coast ever? Or do you just always swim here in the lakes? Just, I'm just wondering. Because uh, there's, there's great pride in the lakes, I get it, but I'm just wondering. Now, because I don't go to the lakes very often, is there huge waves at the lake at times that, that will push you to the sides? You know what I'm talking about? All right, so as a kid, I have all these memories of being in the ocean and going into the ocean at one point and then losing sight of my parents and my beach towels and my hotel and everything else and being five miles down somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about, right? So that physical drift, it happens automatically if you're not paying attention. In fact, the word that's used here in the Greek signifies, it's a, it's a nautical term signifying a ship whose anchor has broken loose from the ocean floor. And it's beginning to drift dangerously off course farther and farther to the point of ruin to where it either hits the rocks or ends in some other catastrophe. Spiritual drifting is, is, is a similar phenomenon when an individual's soul anchor, if you will, has been pulled up from its foundation and is beginning to drift away from the truth that this person thought they at one time held so dear. And now it's just not as important. They're beginning to drift away from it. Now, this doesn't happen on purpose. No one attempts to drift. It happens unintentionally. It happens unconsciously most of the time. And it happens gradually. So it's a very slow process where one begins to drift and then finally drifts away. It's, it's not like spiritual apostasy. Spiritual apostasy is sort of a, a decision that is made that I no longer, because of something that's happened in my life, I don't trust God, I don't want God, I like my sin better, I'm consciously deciding to walk away from God. That's spiritual apostasy. Spiritual drifting, on the other hand, is not something that you choose to do. It just happens because you're not paying attention. And something else has taken uh, the, the place in your heart that at one time seemingly Christ had taken. Uh, again, if you put it in spiritual terms, you're not pay, paying attention to your spiritual vessel and your, your soul is floating away. At one time you were rowing against sinful currents but now you're just freely, freely and leisurely floating along with whatever the flesh, the world, and the devil want for you. It's no longer, you're not going against the, the stream at all. When the author of Hebrews says in verse 1, we must pay closer attention, he's using another nautical term uh, that signifies either holding to one's course by holding on to the wheel and directing where you're going, or else securing an anchor. We'll get later on in Hebrews chapter 6, we'll see 
uh, that Christ is the anchor of our soul. He's not quite got there yet, but he's hinting at it even now. In fact, um, if you're familiar, when we lived in New England, um, in Rhode Island, their flag has a symbol on it. You know what the symbol is? It's an anchor. It has the word hope on it. It's based upon that passage in Hebrews, that there is hope in Christ as the anchor of our soul. You lose sight of Christ, you're going to begin to drift. Evangelical author, Professor D.A. Carson, put it this way, in spiritual terms, he says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, toward prayer, toward obedience, toward delight in the things of the Lord. Rather, we drift toward compromise, we slouch toward prayerlessness, and we slide toward godlessness. And the truth of the matter is, as sinners, we are all prone to drifting. All of us. Our natural bent as fallen creatures is to drift away from the truth, to drift away from faith and good works, and to drift away from Christ. It happens naturally if we're not paying attention. But how dangerous is it? That's point number two. Well, in the case of these Jewish Christians, it's a very clear and present danger. Again, we said last week these people are not dying over the faith at this point, but they're beginning to slowly turn away from Christ as persecution continues to grow and it's becoming more unfashionable to follow Christ and to walk in Christianity. It's much easier just to go back to the old ways. Thankfully, we're not in any sort of major persecution at this point. Maybe we've been belittled because of our faith, but that's about it so far in our country. But it doesn't take persecution to drift away from Christ. I was thinking about this uh, over the last year. You think about the first couple months when COVID hit and all the churches shut down. And uh, many of the churches, including ours, began to put the services online. And then all of a sudden, there was a new resource at the disposal of pastors we never had before. I could tell whether someone was actually watching. There's statistics on all this stuff. In fact, it's crazy. Even the devotionals that we write, I know who actually reads them now. Scary. Especially now that I've told you, because now someone will click on it to look like they read it, even though they didn't. I know how it works. Um, thankfully, I think you ought to know me by now, I'm not going to constantly double check to see what you've done. However, the general trend, not just for our church, but all the churches across the country, when all these sermons started going online, the first couple of months, a lot of people were watching them. Then you notice by about the third month, again and again, just kept going down. Somehow, the same people who were used to drinking their coffee, sitting on the couch, watching the sermon at home while the dog's barking and the neighbors or who knows what's going on, uh, it, got, it got a lot harder. And uh, it was harder to continue to, to keep up with these things. And, and a lot of people stopped doing church. And we notice in the same way that uh, when you know, we started having services back at the church, I know, again, many people had health concerns, I get that. But some people stopped coming simply because they got out of the habit of coming to church. They just slowly were drifting. 
It's amazing how much of a means of grace the church is to us. When you're not involved in the church, your mind starts thinking all sorts of weird things, and you start going back to old desires. You begin to forget the love that you had in Christ. Um, but it doesn't take a pandemic to cause spiritual drift. It can happen at any time. We're all susceptible to it for a number of reasons. I'd say the, the, the top three are our own pride. We, we don't think that we will because of our natural sinful tendencies in that sense and because of our lack of vigilance. We're not watching. We're not paying attention. Thus, we're more likely to drift, to drift away. One day when Al and I were at General Assembly, uh, I guess it was a week ago now or two weeks ago in St. Louis, uh, uh, during one of the breaks we were able to walk across uh, the bridge over the Mississippi River. You know, it's not often you get to see the mighty Mississippi. And, you know, it's, it's pretty muddy. But uh, you get to see a bunch of tugboats and, and some old steamboats and uh, a lot of driftwood. And not just even the little driftwood. We're talking like massive trees upside down just helplessly being pulled downstream with, you know, branches still sticking in the air like, what happened? And it, it made me think. You know, that we're all susceptible to this. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking, how long you've been part of the church, how easy it is to drift away. All of a sudden, just some flood comes up, rips up those roots, you're, you're going down the stream. You weren't even paying attention. We're all susceptible to it. Again, he says, you must pay more careful attention. It can happen to you. In fact, in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, um, if you've never read it, it's a very fascinating book. He's trying to help, under, help us to understand the, the mindset, if you will, of temptation and how the devil seems to work against us in our desire to walk with God. In the, in the book, it's actually one senior demon, if you will, who's giving advice to a junior tempter uh, who is his nephew. And he says to him, he's trying to help him understand how to best tempt human beings he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. In other words, it's easier to lose your way through drifting than apostasy any day of the week. In fact, it's the more dangerous road to hell because you don't know what's happening. And it happens so gradually. C.S. Lewis adds... In another place, he says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of their faith by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? You know that's true. Ellen and I were just talking the other day. Um, I, I have such good memories of the Christian fellowship that I had in college. Uh, we didn't have RUF, but had InterVarsity, very involved in that. And uh, that was one of the solidifying influences in my own faith. And yet, we were talking the other day that there are a number of people that I spent quality time with, praying with and serving with, who no longer go to church today, no, no longer even attempt to seek Christ. They fooled me. 
it's just no longer important. Again, they didn't make a conscious decision. No one reasoned them out of the faith. They just stopped seeking Christ. And then I was thinking about, uh, well, if it's that bad in college, man, you go back to my youth group. I might be the only one. Who's still seeking Christ today? In fact, if you're a young person here this morning, I, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Uh, if you haven't listened to anything I've said thus far in the last three years I've been here, hear this. Know the statistics. For every two out of three students, within four years, you'll no longer be going to church. Those are the statistics. People who grew up in the church, made a profession of faith, actively going to church. Within four years, by the time they're in college, two out of three are no longer going to church. Christ is no longer important to them. Drifting happens so easily. And it is a danger, especially for young people. But don't get me wrong, it is for older people as well. Uh, It can happen so easily. But how dangerous is it? Uh, If you look in verses 2 and 3, the author of Hebrews says this, Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Again, we learned last week that the Old Testament was delivered through angels. Um, And we know that whenever people neglected to hear the law of God through Moses that was delivered by angels, there were grave consequences. If you remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he brought down the Ten Commandments and he saw that the Israelites were worshiping the golden calf, if you remember, immediately the Lord told him, everyone on the Lord's side, go over here. And they ended up slaughtering 3,000 people that day who disobeyed God's law. Similar to Leviticus chapter 10, we think of Nadab and Abihu. These are two men who are holy priests serving in God's tabernacle. And yet they disobeyed God's law. Not a major law, seemingly, but a smaller law with purity, sacrificial sacrificial, uh, regiments. And yet they disobeyed it. God immediately burned them alive. Numbers chapter 15. Moses told Israel to have each person pick up a stone and stone a man to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. I'd say they took it pretty seriously, right? Well, later on, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. Here's where the text reads. He says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, that is Christ. For if the Israelites did not escape when they refused Moses who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven, that is Christ. He's, he's doing a comparison here, saying if, if the judgment that was meted out upon the Israelites in the Old Testament for breaking the law of God was bad. It's nothing in comparison for those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidences of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. Have you heard those passages before? 
In light of verses like this, uh, John Calvin, one of the reformers, said this. He says, it's not only the rejecting of the gospel, but even the neglecting of it that deserves the severest penalty in view of the greatness of the grace which is offered in it. God wishes His gifts to be valued by us at their proper worth. The more precious they are, the baser is our ingratitude if they do not have their proper value for us. In accordance with the greatness of Christ, so will be the severity of God's vengeance on all despisers of the gospel. Here's the principle. It's more heinous to sin against the love of Christ than it is the law of Moses. If you don't believe that, go back and read the New Testament in full. It is more heinous to sin against the love of Christ than it is the law of Moses. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said to the town of Capernaum in Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Because Christ had shown his love to Capernaum. Christ had revealed his glory and miracles to Capernaum, and they rejected him. He said it will be worse for you on the day of judgment than anyone who ever lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, no matter how heinous their sin was against the law of Moses, against the law of God. To sin against the law, the love of Christ is worse than sinning against the law of Moses. That's the author's main point, verses 3 and 4. Reminding us here is that this new revelation did not come from angels. This is what we talked about the last couple weeks. It did not come from prophets, but rather came from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself in the flesh. And then, in addition to that, he sent his apostles to share that testimony with the people who are the recipients of this letter. They're hearing from the apostles' mouths themselves the, the sure testimony of Christ, and they're confirming it with the same type of signs that were confirmed in Capernaum. They had seen evidence of the power of the Spirit at work in their midst, and yet they're still tempted to walk away from Christ. He's saying, it will be worse for you on the day of judgment if you've come that close to seeing the love and glory of Christ and then reject it than it is for those sinners that all of us have seen out in the world who are those horrible wicked people he's saying no it's more wicked for us in here who have heard and have rejected it than it is for those out there who have never heard it on the day of judgment would be worse for us because we listened to it and we despised it we did not pay attention Or some might try to say that that divine wrath is something that's only associated with the Old Testament. You'd be wrong. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. If you think about it, the story ends with Jesus coming a second time in wrath, in judgment upon all those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I'll tell you, there are a lot of pastors today that not only ignore that part of the message, but deny it entirely. They want to present the gospel to you and ignore the wrath of God, ignore 
the judgment of God. If I do not preach the judgment of God to you, I'm not preaching the full message. God is saying there is a day of judgment that's coming. Not to judge simply based upon the law, but based upon whether or not you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the essence of the message of the entire Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, not only is spiritual drifting something that can happen to any of us, but the danger of it, those who have just slowly drifted away, end up in the same place as those who are apostates, and it's even worse. So question number three, how and when can drifting occur? I've already said it happens unintentionally, unconsciously, and gradually. Often we don't realize it's happening until we're in full drift. Now again, I, I'll tell you that as believers, we can still drift. We just won't drift away fully. But we, we, we definitely drift as well at times. And oftentimes, we don't recognize it ourselves until someone else points it out to us. Again, that's one of the, the benefits of being in the church fellowship. Usually someone eventually will trigger. Oh, I, how you doing, brother? Something's not quite right here. You don't seem the same as you did before. But the, see, the problem is, it, again, if you use that illustration in the Greek, the, the anchor has come loose, and you're drifting down, but you don't know it. But you're heading toward the rocks. You don't know it until it's pointed out to you. The hard part is I think many of us think of the drifters as those who've stopped going to church. And, and certainly they are drifters. But you can be going to church every Sunday and sitting and listening to the sermons every, and still be a drifter. Notice again in verse 1, there were some in the church who are not paying close enough attention to what they're hearing. In fact, uh, I, I've had a number of people ask me if I would print out all my sermon outlines and my sermon notes in advance. I don't do that on purpose because I want you to pay attention. I'm not lazy. I want you to pay attention. I hope that you would take notes. I hope that you would ask yourself these questions as we're talking about these things. What do I need to repent of? What do I need to correct? What do I need to believe? Where am I in my relationship with Christ? Where is my heart? To examine myself in these ways, to follow along closely, he says, pay much more closely and attention. At this very moment, you are in a more dangerous position than anywhere else out in the world. You think I'm crazy. <laughs> You're sitting here in one of the most dangerous spots you can ever be. You're either on the very edge of paradise or you're about to enter into the Bermuda Triangle based upon how you receive God's Word. He says, pay close attention to what you're hearing. Every sermon that goes in one ear and out the other is inoculating you against hearing any sermon in the future. It's been a while, I guess, since I've preached a sermon on how to listen to sermons, but there's a need for those types of sermons. How to pay attention. How to pay attention when you're reading the Bible, not just to read the Bible. And again, just immediately walk away and forget what you heard. 
Remember, James is like a man looking in the mirror, immediately forget what he looks like. Common signs of those drifting away from Christ include this. Continual skipping of prayer and Bible reading because you have something else to do instead. Man, do we not have a thousand things to do? Can you really ever use that as an excuse? Why did you not pray and read your Bible? You didn't want to. But you didn't know that you didn't want to because you were so busy wanting other things. That's how easily it happens. You know you're drifting when you're slow to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is pointing out sin in your life, and you're wavering on whether or not you're going to respond to that. Uh, You become hard of heart when you don't respond at all. But you're drifting when you still hear it, but you don't respond to it. Clearly something's going on. You're not bothered by your sin like you used to be. You're drifting when you go to church, but you're one of the first ones always to leave. Do you think that's unfair for me to say? In other words, you come to church because you know it's your duty to come, but for some reason being in the house of God with God's people is not that exciting for you, and you'd rather be somewhere else. So you're always the first one to leave. There's something about being in the presence of God with God's people, lingering in prayer, lingering in Bible reading, lingering with God's people, these are the things that you know the Spirit's working in me because I, I, I like these things now. I love these things. That's why we talk about three means of grace, the Word, sacraments, and prayer. The sacraments are in terms of the corporate body. You're spending time with God's people. Another sign that you might be drifting is when you no longer talk about Christ when you have the opportunity to do so. Now, some of you may have never been in the habit of of uh, evangelism or sharing your faith, but some of you have, and then you've just stopped doing it, slow drifting away. The, um, I think I have a brother here that uh, recommended a track to me. I just bought, uh, I didn't buy them, I had the church buy them, about 500 of these guys. Um, basically, two for every person in the church. Uh, put them in your pocket. See if the Lord opens up opportunities for you to talk about Christ. We're going to make our own eventually, but uh, I got tired of waiting for myself to create something, so here we go. Um, I'll put them out on the table. There are already some I'm out there and put out more. Um, not as a work of the flesh, not in the sense of you've you got to do this to earn your salvation, but it's simply a reminder. Where am I at? Examining myself. Do I, do I want to talk about Christ anymore? Do I desire the things of Christ anymore? Do I want to read the Bible? Do I want to pray? Do I want to talk about Him? One of the easiest ways in which people drift away from the love of God and Christ is simply to fall in love with the world all over again. That's how it happens. Again, he tells the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, you've lost your first love. Why did you lose? Because you went back to the old lovers. Not your spouse, but all those that you had prostituted yourself with, you've gone back to those things all over again. So what's the remedy? What's the cure? It's obvious. You you feel like as a pastor you repeat yourself a thousand times, but it comes back to the Word, prayer, and the church. Those are the means of grace. Those are the things that keep us going against the stream. 
if we're not involved in those three things, we're going to drift, and we're going to drift badly. He says, you must pay more closer attention to what you've heard. So the question is, how good is your attention span? <laughs> how good is your hearing? How is your time in God's Word? How is your prayer life going? These are questions that we don't ask each other very often. Uh, we don't ask ourselves often enough either. But we have to ask ourselves. Paul commands us, at, every time we receive the Lord's Supper, he says, examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper, right? That's meant to be a regular occurrence. But then in addition to that, another passage, 2 Corinthians, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Whether Jesus Christ is in you, examine yourself. So how do you do that? In uh, one book on prayer that I read a few years ago, a pastor asked four questions. I think these are really good questions. Maybe you can remember some of these. They're all ab about the same thing. First of all, what he does is it's all based upon this nautical metaphor. He says, imagine that your soul is a boat, and a boat with oars and a sail. And then he asks these questions. And I'll ask them to you. Are you sailing? Sailing means you're living the Christian life with the wind at your back. God is real to your heart. You often feel his love. You see your prayers being answered. When studying the Bible, you regularly see remarkable things. And you sense him speaking to you through his word. You sense people around you being influenced by the spirit through you. Are you sailing, brother? No? Well, let me ask you this. Are you rowing? Rowing means you're finding prayer and Bible reading to be more of a duty than a delight. God often, though not always, seems distant, and the sense of his presence is fairly rare. You don't see many of your prayers being answered. You may be struggling with doubts about God and yourself, yet despite all this, you refuse self-pity or the self-righteous pride that assumes you know better than God how your life should go. You continue to read your Bible, you pray regularly, you attend worship and reach out and serve people despite the inner spiritual dryness that you feel. Are you rowing? No? Well, then are you drifting? Drifting means that you're experiencing all the conditions of rowing, that same spiritual dryness, the same difficulties in life. But in response, instead of rowing, you're just letting yourself drift. You don't feel like approaching and obeying God. So you don't pray. You don't read. You give in to self-centeredness that naturally comes when you feel sorry for yourself. And you drift into self-indulgent behavior to comfort yourself, whether it be through escape eating, sleeping, sexual practices, or whatever else. Brother, are you drifting? If not, there's only one other option. Are you sinking? Eventually, if left unchecked, your boat, your soul, will drift away and will truly lose any forward motion in Christ. The numbness of heart will become hardness because you give in to the thoughts of self-pity and resentment. If some major difficulty or trouble were to come into your life, it would be possible to abandon your faith and identity as a Christian altogether. Again, we're saying this doesn't happen for those who have true faith in Christ, but there are many, and I would say many, that have come and gone through churches, 
throughout the years that have simply sunk. They did not make it. They were not paying attention. Now notice in that metaphor, there's some things in which you're responsible for, and there are other things that are out of your hands entirely. The things that you're responsible for are simply submitting yourself to the means of grace, reading the Bible, praying, being a part of the church even when you don't feel like it. But those other things you have no control over, your circumstances, what happens, even sometimes how you feel. But if you pray, if you worship, and you obey despite those things, you will not be drifting. You're at least rowing. You see the difference? Drifting is when you no longer are doing any of these things. At least you're not doing them consistently. In any case, the exhortation for you this morning is the same. Pray thoughtfully. Don't just go through the, the rote prayers. Pray thoughtfully. Pray patiently. Read your Bible carefully. Read it again. The same passage you didn't get the first time. Read it again. And sit there and meditate upon it until you get something from it. Don't just read it just to read it. Read it prayerfully. Pray it back to God. When you listen to a sermon, listen attentively. Take notes. Pay attention. Even if I'm a horrible preacher, the Scripture itself will speak to you if you pay attention. It's the power of God's Word, not the power of my words, that can change your heart, soften it, giving it perseverance. For this, that's rowing. Even though sometimes you feel like you're rowing in the dark, you're still rowing. You're not drifting. You're moving forward. And the Holy Spirit is still at the oars with you until that wind comes back and you're just flowing in the right direction again with utter joy. In the meantime, you're not drifting. The Lord will sustain your faith. He will preserve it. He gives you the strength to persevere. So brother, if you're not sailing, at least be rowing. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask for more grace. We're so foolish. We so easily quit. We so easily fall into self-pity and, and, and just think that Christianity ought to be so much easier than it is. Lord, we forget that we're in a battle zone. We forget that uh, there's a constant conflict between the new creation that is in Christ Jesus and that old man who, who just refuses to give up a losing battle. And it is a losing battle for the flesh. It's already been crucified. Oh, Father, give us renewed hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, renewed hope in his word, renewed hope through prayer, renewed hope through the fellowship of the saints that we might row and row hard until the, the sails are, are full 
of the breath of the Spirit in our lives again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.